0: Welcome to The Ether Review. I'm your host, Arthur Falls. The Ether Review is a podcast about the applications of blockchain technology, from big business to governments to the software that powers our cars. This new iteration of the internet affects every part of our lives. By speaking to the people who work in this emerging field, we aim to decrypt this new technology and distribute the future that is already here. Today we hear from Ted Livingston, who founded Kick Interactive in 2009 to address the problem of chat between Blackberry, iPhone, and Android. Since then, their chat app, Kick, has exploded in popularity, experiencing use by up to 40% of US teenagers. Kick is a somewhat anonymous platform, with its own economy in which stickers are traded and users can be charged for access to certain chat rooms. By launching the Kick in-app currency, kin as a cryptocurrency kick interactive aims to enable the kick economy to grow independently and organically the token launch ended recently with nearly 100 million usd equivalent raised registered contributors numbered over 10,000 and resided in over 100 countries, indicating that the currency is indeed broadly distributed compared to other tokens. This episode was recorded over two months ago, so it's interesting to look back from the other side of the token launch and see Ted's claims of broad distribution validated pretty accurately. In this conversation, we dive quite deeply into the problems of practical scaling and also the impact of currency volatility in these kind of microeconomies. Thanks for joining me, Ted. Thanks for having me. So can you tell me a bit about your background? Yeah, so born and raised in Toronto,
1: went to University of Waterloo for engineering. Uh, but the really cool thing with Waterloo is in order to graduate, you you need to complete six four-month internships. So I spent a bunch of those at BlackBerry in 2007, 2008, got to see mobile really early, uh, and basically had a boss at the time who said, hey, you know, you're pretty good at this. You should go back to school and start your own company. So that's what I did eight and a half years ago now uh, and have been running it ever since.
0: And so what is Kik? I understand it's a messaging app, but what differentiates it from other messaging apps? I think the reason
1: people really like Kik versus other messaging apps is it's a messaging app that gives you complete control over your identity. So it's based on a username. So when you're a a teenager or somebody else and you're looking to hang out with your friends but also make new friends... You want to do it in a way where you control your identity. So when you meet new people in group chats or in different experiences, you're not giving away your phone number, you're not giving away your social profile. And so Kick has this place in the market where it's it's not a chat utility, it's not a, a replacement for SMS, but it's more of a chat community. Just an amazing place to hang out with your friends and make new friends.
0: And what's with the rise of the messaging app? I didn't really even understand that messaging apps were a big thing until I went to China and used WeChat for the first time, and saw all of the amazing utilities and features that were strapped onto that program. And since then, we've seen so many different messaging applications come out, and it seems to be that there is something here. That this is like a new medium or a new platform for delivering services to a customer. Yeah, so I think, you
1: know, in the first part, we get these mobile phones for the first time. Everybody's always online, always connected. There's no such thing as offline. And you know, the killer application of that is to connect with other people. So for the first time ever, you can always get a hold of other people, you know, first with voice and cell phones, but later with text more efficiently with messengers. But because of that, these messengers are also the place we spend the most time. And so the question has become is, what other experiences and what other services could we deliver through a messenger? And that's really been this evolution where messengers have gone from applications to platforms. Definitely WeChat has led the way of that, the power of messengers as a platform in China,
0: and that's something that all these other messengers, including Kick, are working on for the rest of the world. So what is the value in using an ERC-20 token? Actually, let's, no, let's backtrack. What is the role of the token in the Kik community? Maybe,
1: like, what if we go back one step even further? Cause I think what we're trying to do is we've always had a very similar vision to WeChat. I, you know, I wrote this medium post, I think it was in 2014 called the race to be the WeChat of the West. And really I think for the first time ever outlined just what was possible with WeChat and how that could happen in the rest of the world and how that would be powerful. And then shortly after that, WeChat actually made a $50 million investment in kick at a billion dollar valuation, basically saying, Hey, we think, Kick understands this better than anybody else in the world. But I think the challenge for us is, you know, we've always been on the cutting edge of innovation in chat. So we we're the first chat app to go viral in 2010, the first chat app to be on the platform in 2011, and the first chat app in the Western world to launch bots in 2014. So we have this history of being first. But we also have a history of being copied by these big companies who have way more scale in terms of funding, in terms of developers, and even in terms of users, uh, and then coming in and copying all of our innovation. And we got to a point where we just realized that if we just kept innovating and then getting copied, innovating and then getting copied, this was gonna be a losing game for us and we were not gonna be able to compete. And so we needed to find a way to change the game. And we had been thinking about how a cryptocurrency could change the game for us uh, since 2011 actually. And when we first started looking into Bitcoin and going to Bitcoin conferences, and what we realized is it could be a fundamentally new way to monetize a business, a fundamentally new way to exit a business, to get a financial return for employees and investors, but also a fundamentally new way to compete with these huge companies.
0: So what role does the token play on the Kick Network then?
1: At its most simplest form, the Kick token is a way for consumers to exchange value with each other, both inside of Kik and outside of Kik. Whether that's hosting great group chat or building great content or building great bots and to get compensated for that and get compensated in kin. And so that's that's the exciting thing to us about a cryptocurrency is it's a, it's a fundamentally new business model. I mean, historically you could build a consumer community and then you'd have one of two options. Sell that community's attention to advertisers or you could try to sell that community physical or virtual goods. But that was really hard or it is really hard for anybody other than these huge companies because these huge companies are the only ones with the scale and the data to effectively monetize through advertising. And so they then go ahead and give everything else away for free. So pretty much every other developer is saying, well, we don't have the scale and the data to effectively monetize through advertising. And you've created this expectation with consumers that everything should be free. So we have no way to make money. We have no way to become sustainable. With a cryptocurrency, there's a third monetization path for the first time ever, which is now with a cryptocurrency, if you can build a consumer community, now instead of selling their attention to advertisers or trying to get them to sell them stuff, either virtual or physical goods, if you can bring them together And just providing value to each other through this cryptocurrency so i host a great group chat and you pay one kin to join my group chat and then you build a great sticker and i pay one kin to get your great sticker so now we're just exchanging value through this cryptocurrency that could drive up the price of the cryptocurrency and so by setting some aside for yourself at the beginning in the case of kin 30 percent we set aside for kick you could build something that on one side was completely open and decentralized But on the other side you can make a great financial return for your employees and investors
0: are you intending to do this on the public ethereum network so the
1: token will launch on the ethereum blockchain as an erc20 token but there are real scalability challenges to ethereum that have not been solved yet and so you know kick we have one of these values which is you know what are all the options and so we are going through all the options but It will start on the Ethereum blockchain as an ERC-20 token, but it may not end up there. And that's what we're working through.
0: How does Kirk intend to create an avenue for people to purchase the KIN token? And how do you intend to incentivize them to do so? And how do you intend to distribute it at the start as well?
1: So there's there's too many questions in that one question because they're all big topics. But I'm going to take a crack at answering it. And you tell me if this is what you meant or not. When we looked at Bitcoin in 2011, on one side, we were really excited, but on the other side, we thought it was flawed. So the reason we were excited is because what we realized is for the first time ever with with Bitcoin, with the blockchain, you could guarantee the scarcity of a digital asset. So before the blockchain, you could have a digital asset where it was easy to move around, or you could have guaranteed scarcity, like gold, a physical asset, but you could never have both both easy to move around digitally and of guaranteed scarcity. Once created, there would never be more. So now with blockchain, for the first time ever, with Bitcoin, you could have both. There were never gonna be more than 21 million Bitcoins. And we realized that we could use that if we could grow the demand for a cryptocurrency. And you know, so demand goes up, supply stays the same, that the price of that cryptocurrency would go up, such that if we set some aside for ourselves at the beginning, this could be a fundamentally new way to monetize a consumer app but what we realize is with with bitcoin is that it was fundamentally flawed in that nobody was getting their paycheck in bitcoin the only real way to get bitcoin was to buy it and if that was the only way to get it was to buy it it didn't make sense because why would i go get a job get my paycheck in dollars go out, buy some Bitcoin with it, so convert it to Bitcoin, then buy something from a, a vendor with Bitcoin, and then they would just have to convert it back to dollars in order to pay their employees. Like, why would we add all this unnecessary friction to the system? Why wouldn't we just do everything in dollars? And that's, you know, that's what we've seen played out. You know, People are using Bitcoin as a store of value, they're using it for illegal goods, but they're not using it for much else. And so the question we asked ourselves, on one side, we were all excited for the first time ever, you guarantee the scarcity of a digital asset. But on the other side, how could we get millions of people earning in a, in a cryptocurrency? Because if they could earn in a cryptocurrency, not buy it, but earn in it, then it would be most, the easiest thing to do would be to then spend in that cryptocurrency. And so that's what we did. We went out and we launched something in 2014 as an experiment called Kick Points and kickpoints was an experiment in could we get millions of people earning in a new digital currency and spending not buying and selling but earning and spending and so what kickpoints was is on one side it started off you could get some points by watching ads and then on the other side you could take those points and spend them on smileys inside of kick and then from there, we built out more ways to earn them and more ways to spend them, effectively building a little economy inside of Kick. And again, there was no way to buy these Kick points. It was impossible. You just could not. And there was no way to sell these Kick points. You could only earn them and spend them. And in doing that and setting up that experiment, we, ha- we got millions of people, mainstream consumers, earning and spending in this new currency called Kick points. To the point where we got a transaction volume, you know, three times bigger than Bitcoin's average transaction volume at the time, spiking anywhere up to like 10 times as many transactions per day. And so that's where we really realized that there could be something here is, wait a second, if KickPoints was a cryptocurrency,
0: it would be the most used cryptocurrency in the world right away. Wow, that's really interesting because this actually harks back to something I noticed way back in the early days of Bitcoin that you took a totally different view on. And that was it was clear to me that Bitcoin was never going to succeed as a payment method because in the Bitcoin space, there was never really a use for the token. And that's kind of why it's never turned into a payment rail of of any meaningful sort. It's just used as a speculative store of value or large international payments to people who also except Bitcoin, right, or value Bitcoin. It was just so unuser friendly. Right. So that being the case, you know, you mentioned that there's an opportunity here to realize the value to exit using a cryptocurrency. So how do you intend to get people to pay cash for the Kin token? Because ultimately that's what's got to happen here in order for Kik to make any money out of it, right? Yes
1: and no. So let me explain. The way you monetize through a cryptocurrency is you create a new cryptocurrency, And once you create it on the blockchain, you can basically say, we guarantee, based on math, that there will never be more of these. And that's like the fundamental innovation of cryptocurrencies is you can guarantee the scarcity of a digital asset. So what you want to then do is you want to grow demand for that cryptocurrency. Because if demand goes up and supply stays fixed, then it's economics 101 and the price of it will go up. And if the price of it goes up, if you set some aside for yourself, for the company, the price, the value of that portion you set aside for yourself will also go up, okay? Yeah, but you've got to be able to sell it, right? You you need to be able to sell it, yes. And these are ERC20 tokens that exist on the blockchain. Once you get them, you know they're exchangeable in all sorts of different places. And that's not something that controls. That's a, another innovation of the blockchain. Okay. And so the question is why would people yeah. pay for this at higher and higher prices? And the reason they would pay for it at higher and higher prices is because there's more ways and places to use it, there's more demand for it. So if today, you know, 100 people are using it to facilitate the exchange of value around group chats and stickers. There's only so much demand for it, whereas in the future, if millions of people are using it to exchange value, around not just group chats, not just stickers, but a bunch of different things, then there's going to be a lot of demand for it. And as a user now, as a consumer, you you have one of two choices. You say, hey, look at all these things that I could go spend this cryptocurrency on. I want to get more of that cryptocurrency. You have one of two options. Option number one is you could contribute value to the ecosystem and earn some of that cryptocurrency So host your own great group chat or create your own great sticker. Or you could go out and simply buy some of that cryptocurrency on one of these exchanges.
0: Okay. So this is quite interesting because you said before that the problem with Bitcoin was that in order to use it as a means of payment, you would have to first take your fiat currency, go buy Bitcoin and then spend it. And then the person who you gave that Bitcoin in exchange for a good or service, would then have to sell it for fiat in order to pay their staff. So it's kind of a redundant system. And it sounds like Kik and the Kin token represent another one of these economies where in order to participate using the Kin token, you actually have to buy into that economy by purchasing that token or earning it in that economy.
1: Yeah. So I think like everything you are buying in your daily life, the
0: costs of the things you are buying
1: are denominated in fiat currencies. So uh, a hamburger, the sort of ingredients were bought and denominated in fiat currency. The, the the person that put your burger together is getting paid a salary in fiat currency. And so it makes sense that everything should happen in a fiat currency. With KickPoints and with Kin, we're trying to build a separate economy, an economy that is completely denominated in a cryptocurrency. So everything you want to spend this cryptocurrency on inside like Kick with Kick points for example you could only buy it with Kick points there was no other option like that's the real innovation here is we're saying hey listen for the physical world fiat currencies work really well we should just keep using fiat currencies because this whole like fiat to bitcoin to bitcoin to fiat like circle is redundant unless you're trying to do something illegal for the most part. Whereas what we're trying to do with KIG is we're saying we're trying to build a virtual economy where all these consumers are coming in and every time they're contributing value into this ecosystem, they're earning this digital currency. And every time they're taking value from this ecosystem, they're spending this digital currency. But inside this world, everything happens in this digital currency in kin.
0: So I'm still not 100% sure how Kin is distributed, how that first 70% of Kin is allocated to the members of the economy.
1: Okay, that, that is actually a, a fairly big question with a number of parts. So at a very high level,
0: we are creating
1: 10 trillion Kin. Once they are created, there will never be more. We're selling 1 trillion of that in a token distribution event that we're gonna do this summer. We're setting 3 trillion of that, 30% aside for kick and then we're putting the remaining 6 trillion, 60% into the Kin Foundation. And what the goal of the Kin Foundation is to grow the number of places that you can earn and spend Kin beyond Kick. To to get this ecosystem, this bigger ecosystem going and growing beyond Kick. So the question then is okay, that sounds interesting, but like where do where, where do consumers come in? The way we're going to start with consumers is we're going to take some small portion, we're going to airdrop it into Kick. And how much we airdrop into Kick doesn't really matter. What matters is consumers inside Kick and later outside Kick start earning and spending in this kin. If, you know, it, it doesn't really matter how much kin we airdrop into the system as long as you know, it could be 100, it could be a million, it, it doesn't really matter. What matters is people get it, they see it as valuable, and they go out and they say, hey, where are all the places I can spend this kin where other users are providing value? So like, who? oh, what are these great group chats? How much does it cost to get into them? What are these great stickers that other consumers have created? How much is it? How much are they selling them for? And then on the other side, they're earning kin. Hey, if I host a great group chat, how much will people pay me to get into my group chat? Hey, if I create a great sticker, how much will people pay for my great sticker? And so what we're trying to do is basically just, you know, create almost like a farmer's market, you can think of it. You know, it's this place where all these consumers are going in, where people both have their own booth, where they're earning kin, and then going to everybody else's booth where they're spending can. And so it just becomes this medium of exchange. You know, I take some kin and I spend it, and I take some kin and, and I earn it. And so once we get that going, there will be this sort of millions of people earning and spending in kin. And then people will say, hey, instead of earning it and spending it, because I can only get 10 kin for hosting a great group chat, you can actually go buy this on exchanges and bypass this whole earning system. So what if I go out on an exchange and, you know, it turns out I could actually buy 10,000 kin for a dollar. So instead of hosting all these group chats, why wouldn't I just go out and buy all this kin for one dollar? That's a better use of my time. You can do that, but then the price of kin will go up. So everybody else's kin inside the system, the value is going to go up. And so very quickly, the price will level out at whatever the market feels is fair whatever the supply and demand for Kin will support. Does that make sense?
0: It does, but that's not really what's gonna happen. Really, it's going to skyrocket stratospherically as speculators buy, 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 because you've got this incredible proposition and like you're obviously, you've built a successful company, you're probably one of the most credible businessmen in the space, you've actually built a billion dollar company. You know, that, that makes one of you, you know? I mean, a real billion dollar company, not a crypto company. You've recognized the importance of chat apps. WeChat has recognized you as a major player in the space, as someone who truly understands. WeChat's the biggest chat app in the world. They value you at a billion dollars. Like, they know what they're talking about. You're talking about building this whole economy. I mean, you're extremely credible. And so when people speculate on this, they're gonna speculate on, this is this whole venture capital disruption thing, right? They're gonna buy your token because they're going to see you and say, that's someone I want to invest in. The price of KIN will skyrocket. And additionally, in order to spec for that to happen as well, here's another like weird dynamic, it needs to be on the Ethereum blockchain. And there's no way the Ethereum blockchain can support the transaction throughput that this use case demands. So like, you know, there are some kind of, there are some things here that don't quite make sense to me. Do, Do you understand?
1: There are good answers to all these questions.
0: (laughs) Where do you want to start? Hey, let's start with the speculative value and then let's talk about transaction throughput.
1: Okay. So
0: the question is, if
1: people speculate on Kin and the value of Kin climbs, like how is this economy going to work in in that scenario? I think there's a, a few answers to this, but I think the most fundamental answer is The things you buy in Kin are things that other users are offering that are denominated in Kin, okay? So I'm a user, I'm hosting a great group chat, it costs 10 Kin to get in. I'm a user and I created a great sticker and it costs 10 Kin to buy, okay? So it's a marketplace where I contribute value and set a price that I feel is fair for that value, okay? But then it is a marketplace. So I, I host my group chat. I set the price at 10 kin and nobody joins. So I go, oh, okay, well, what if I set it at nine kin? Nobody joins, eight kin, nobody joins. I can keep going until basically I get to free and then people will join. So if I start today and I you know offer my group chat for 100 kin and then the price of kin goes up 10 times, that's fine. I'll just set my price at 10 kin, one-tenth the price that I did before in kin but the same price in fiat currency. And this is like the real power, I think, of what we are doing and what we've put together is we're building this economy where it's about consumers together, delivering value to each other, where all transactions and all value exchanged is denominated in the cryptocurrency. So for example, like the problem with Bitcoin is, you know, a dollar today is $10 tomorrow. like. You know, what if I want to buy instead of one burger today, I want to buy 10 burgers tomorrow. And it's it's that exchange rate that creates a real challenge. Whereas in Kin, we basically built a separate economy where everything you buy and everything, every way you earn is denominated in Kin, such that if the exchange rate to the outside world, to fiat currencies, fluctuates inside of Kin land, you don't really notice or you don't notice nearly to the same degree. Right, like in Bitcoin, you notice, right? One Bitcoin today can buy me a laptop, but it took me 10 Bitcoins a year ago, or whatever. Whereas in Kin, all I see is like, hey, group chats used to be five Kin, but now they're four Kin, and like, I don't really notice. And I think like the right analogy for this is, you know, if I live in the United States, and I make my salary in US dollars, and I spend my salary, in US dollars. Everything I buy is in US dollars. Do I really care what the exchange rate is with the New Zealand dollar? And it's like, no I don't care because the New Zealand dollar has no impact on me. I'm not earning in New Zealand dollars and nothing I'm buying is in New Zealand dollars. Everything I'm earning and spending on is in US dollars. That's what we're trying to do in Kin. Everything you're earning and spending on is in Kin already yes there's people speculating on it in the outside world but inside our world uh, people are using it to earn and spend in a way to facilitate that value exchange
0: right so there's not nearly as much speculation taking place within that ecosystem and
1: no 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 there could be just as much speculation taking place in that world but the impact of that speculation should be much lower that's the key because with bitcoin The things you want to buy, everything you want to buy is priced in U.S. dollars. So if Bitcoin, if the value goes down, it gets cut in half, then you can only buy half as many things. And you're like freaking out. You're like, what happened to my value? Whereas in Kin, everything you want to buy is denominated in Kin. So, you know, if the the price of Kin to U.S. dollars doubles or gets cut in half, yeah, there's an impact over time of that inside the ecosystem. Prices will come down or prices will go up but inside this ecosystem, people won't directly notice. Most people won't notice. They're like, hey, I'm hosting a group chat, I'm earning five kin, and then I'm buying a sticker and it costs me 10 kin. Like, you know, I'm not really paying attention to the conversion price of kin to US dollars.
0: Right, because everyone in the kin ecosystem has their own outlook on the future value of kin or its utility. There's just a different attitude, a different behavior toward the actual pricing of the token.
1: Yeah, I think so. Like Kin is not being used to buy things that are denominated in US dollars like Bitcoin is. Kin is being used to buy things that are denominated in Kin. And so if, you know, Kin one day because of speculation is worth 10 times as much as what it is yesterday, just everybody inside the Kin ecosystem will adjust their prices accordingly. Hey, I know I charged. 10 kin to get in my group chat yesterday, but I'm only charging one kin today. It will like it will self balance inside the kin economy.
0: I'm trying to I'm trying to figure out how some kind of price stability can exist though, right? We we are not trying
1: to remove the volatility of a cryptocurrency, because we think that's impossible. We think cryptocurrencies for the foreseeable future, where will, will be very volatile, and everything in history so far would suggest that that is true. What we are trying to do is we're trying to set up the ecosystem and the economy such that the volatility of a cryptocurrency becomes largely irrelevant to the consumers who use it.
0: Okay, I'm gonna to have to dig deeper into this. It's it's interesting. This We're actually, we're treading in some awesome new territory here. It's really exciting. So transaction throughput.
1: So scalability is the number one issue, in my opinion, in the blockchain space today. Ethereum just is not at a point where it's scalable. It's not at a point where it's ready for sort of mainstream applications. So you have one of two choices. Choice number one is to do a large portion of the transactions off chain. So basically we do it like Kick Points, where inside a Kick or we're keeping track of our own ledger. And then we are writing that back to the Ethereum blockchain on one side. The positive of that is you get way more scalability, very easy to do. It's largely just a database. But on the other side, it's no longer a decentralized cryptocurrency. It's now basically a centralized currency. So we don't like that solution. The second solution is to figure out how to get to a more scalable, fully on chain solution. And in there, there are two choices. Choice number one is for Ethereum itself to become more scalable. And choice number two is for some new blockchain to come out. That is, you know, in the way that Ethereum sort of learned from Bitcoin, but improved upon it. uh, A new blockchain would come out and learn from Ethereum, but make it more scalable. So this is what we are thinking about is sort of what are all the options to either help Ethereum become more scalable or to work with the people who are trying to build what I call blockchain 3.0 which is a more
0: scalable version of, of Ethereum. What is your professional outlook on the scalability prospects of Ethereum? To be honest, I think it's going to be
1: challenging. You know, I think like, why didn't Bitcoin become Ethereum? Because it could have, it's because, you know, you, you, you build for a certain set of assumptions, you build the system around that. And then it's very hard to change those underlying assumptions and you know, so the way I think about it is Bitcoin is sort of blockchain 1.0 for the first time ever, you can guarantee the scarcity of a digital asset. Ethereum is blockchain 2.0, you can now add logic and smart contracts to that. And then I think there will be a blockchain 3.0, which will take 1.0 and 2.0 and make it much more scalable. There's no reason that Ethereum couldn't become that. But you know, if we look at history, it's hard, you know, like if we look at the mobile phone, we could call it like Nokia was the smartphone 1.0, BlackBerry was the smartphone 2.0, and iPhone was the smartphone 3.0. And I was working at BlackBerry at the time when the iPhone got announced back in 2007. And, you know, we we were there and we saw the opportunity. And we saw what made the iPhone special, and we worked really hard to try to turn BlackBerry into that sort of 3.0 smartphone platform with which had developers and was and apps and really easy to to build things for but it just didn't happen you know it was just too hard to make that shift and so i think you know a similar thing could happen here as as much as i hate to say it i hope it doesn't i hope i'm wrong but i think if somebody could figure out the answer for how you build a really scalable blockchain 3.0 today you know just wave your magic wand who could get there faster a team that was working directly from scratch with no legacy baggage, or the Ethereum team trying to adapt to get to that. And I, you know, I hope it is Ethereum. I hope Ethereum can can adapt to that 3.0 feature faster than somebody could build there directly. But it's it's just that's not what's happened in history. And I think you know the hardest part about Ethereum adapting. To become more scalable and to become that blockchain 3.0 is just the misaligned incentives you know the the people that have built ethereum and who are working on ethereum have made so much money that you know to build something new and innovative is a lot of work it's really hard it's hard thankless work and when you have that much money it's hard to convince yourself that it's worth going through that much pain. And I think this is going to be the biggest hindrance, not just to the Ethereum project, but to many of the projects that we see doing ICOs, is when you raise this type of money, make this type of money, it's very hard to stay motivated through the very painful creative and innovation process.
0: This is something that I've heard very few people actually talk about. So what is... The future for the Web3 vision, I guess, that was laid out by the Ethereum team and seems to have been lost in in Ethereum, right? I mean, it's turned into Capital Markets 2.0. It's not Web3. It's not. it's, It's just these ERC20 tokens, these kind of dodgy token launches that are becoming less dodgy, but still pretty dodgy. Insider trading is rife. You know, it's just it's like the Wild West, like a weird penny stock kind of keep the money in the system and keep chasing that dream kind of bubble thing
1: yeah i think that's a that is a great question because consumers at the end of the day do not care if something is open or not you know 99 percent of consumers they only care if it's better or not And so the question is not how you build something to be open and decentralized. Anybody can do that. The question is how you leverage open and decentralized to build something better than the closed and centralized alternative. The thing we are trying to do with Kin is to say, digital services are playing such an important role in our lives, but they are being increasingly monopolized and controlled by a fewer and fewer number of bigger and bigger companies. And that's putting us on a path for consumers where at some point there will have less choice, less innovation, and ultimately less freedom. So how can we use a cryptocurrency to incentivize the creation of a new ecosystem of digital services that is not only open and decentralized, but is also better than the centralized alternatives that these big companies are offering today.
0: And I suppose that's the question of the industry. I mean, something I've been trying to drill down in now, because it seems like it's about time we answer the question, and that's what is the killer application of public verifiable computing networks? And it sounds like this is one right here, the ability to create your own self-contained economy with your own minted token, with its own set of rules and particular value characteristics. Yes,
1: because we could have just taken kick points and put it on the blockchain, but we didn't. Why? Because we realized that by putting kick points on the blockchain, on one side, we could create the most used cryptocurrency in the world and therefore make it one of the most valuable cryptocurrencies in the world. But what we realized is, wait a second, if if we created one of the most valuable cryptocurrencies in the world, what if we could take a big chunk of that and set it aside to incentivize the creation of something much bigger, much bigger than kick, much beyond kick, something, you know, much more world-changing. And that's ultimately why we called it kin. And why we didn't call it kick points is because yes, we're going to start kin inside of kick, and we hope that makes kin one of the most valuable cryptocurrencies in the world. But then we're going to use a big chunk of that value and set it up to incentivize the sort of creation and adoption of Kin well beyond Kick. And that's the really exciting thing for us.
0: Well, this has been a really productive conversation. Thanks for giving me so much of your time. Where can people find out more about this entire project? Yeah, we have a website, Kin.Kick.com. You can sign
1: up there for like more information. But I think for us, this is about building something big and so we, we will do a token offering and we're going to set it up in a way where it's not going to be sort of one of these first come first serve and, you know, 200 people get all the tokens. We're really going to try to set it up in a way who whoever wants to be to participate in this project and be part of this project will be able to do so. But at the same time, we will make we will cap the project so that everybody can get in, but also can get in a, at a fair price. And so that we can all go build this together.
0: Awesome. Hey, thanks a bunch. All right. Great talking to you, Arthur. Thanks. You've been listening to the Ether Review. I'm Arthur Falls. For more episodes, subscribe on iTunes or visit etherreview.info.